What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where you know what we're doing. We're making strength and conditioning not boring anymore, and how do we do it? We're highlighting the practitioners and coaches that make this field great, and today we have Kurt Hester. Yes, Uncle Kurt Hester joined the show. Uh, This was actually back when he was still at Tulane, and he was getting into the first season. So this was before they won the Cotton Bowl, before they beat USC, before... Uncle Kurt left and went to the Big 12. If you don't know who Kurt Hester is, if you have not read his book, Rants of a Conditioning, uh, Rants of a Strength and Conditioning Madman, you have to listen to it. I'm going to stop talking, get into this conversation right now with Uncle Kurt. Uh, kind of start out uh, in U.S. Olympic Training Center uh, with Coach Gail Hatch uh, as, as a young, young athlete. Uh, my brother's worked in, um, in shipyards. They built, started building me equipment when I was 12. So I started training at 12 years old, around 1975. Then moved to Baton Rouge, worked at Coach Hatch, you know, got into physiology uh, at Tulane, uh, worked with Tom Shaw at Tulane. Um, and then uh, my career kind of took off because of Coach Hatch and because of Tom Shaw was like the first real speed coach uh, in the NFL and in college football. And went to LSU, then owned my own business, went to uh, D1 sports training, helped build that out to about 36 facilities before I got tired of the of corporate life and went back to coaching in college at Louisiana Tech and then just started Tulane uh, in January. What's it like working at your alma mater? Uh, I mean, 30 years later, it's kind of cool, you know, that I kind of started there. I ran the physiology lab. Uh, while I was there, uh, before I went to LSU, and to have to be able to come back to kind of my hometown, thirty years later, is is, is pretty cool. You know, I mean, New Orleans is New Orleans is New Orleans, man. It's kind of when you grow up there, it's kind of hard to live anywhere else. <laughs> How close was Nashville when you were up in you know the uh, the D one sports area to uh, you know that living area? Uh, it's Franklin, so it's just a suburb of yeah. Nashville. Yeah. So I actually lived downtown Nashville. Oh, okay. Because it was um, fun. How did you like working in that? You know, you said you had to get out of it, but a lot of our listeners are kind of going that route. How do you, how do you equate success in that world in today's strength and conditioning? It's a, it's a little different because you have to go out and kill. And if you don't kill, you don't eat. So um, I kind of ran my own facility. I trained 500 athletes a day in my own facility in Louisiana. So at, at one point in time, it was Mike Boyle and me had the only, and we had the only like real standalone facilities in the, in the, in the country. Um, so I had, I had really no, uh, no competition. And uh, I, I trained athletes from 12 years old all the way to NFL, NHL, NBA, and literally 500 a day. You know, we had, had a full staff. I ran it like a, like a true strength and conditioning college program. Um, and from the discipline aspect of everything we did and uh, parents loved it because it's like, they didn't, most of the time didn't want to discipline their own kids, but we, we were hard, we were really hard on them. I didn't care. I had so many clients. I didn't care if they quit because I knew we we're going to just fill it up with another kid. So um, we, we trained three, five, a total football teams where they trained at our facility. They didn't train at school. We trained uh, a few um, 5A uh, female soccer teams, uh, 5A male soccer team. We, we've had 
I think we had, we trained over 20,000 athletes in a, in a period of time. I think we had over 3,000, 3 or 4,000 athletes get scholarships. Um, a lot of them were all Amer high school All-Americans. Um, I mean, they were going to LSU, they were going to Auburn, they were going to Tulane, to Mississippi State. They were going all over the, all over the country to play. Uh, it was kind of, it's kind of a neat, a neat era of training because, like I said, no competition. There was no one um, to kind of, there was no barometer for us. So we were doing really well. Um, and just, you're not with, you know, you're not with a team to, per se. You're not, you're not training a team from the time they get to you as freshmen all the way through to they leave four or five years later. So, the, you know, it's a little, little different uh, situation as far as what you get out of it. Um, it's easier on your family. It's, you know, because I, I, my, I started my career in college, went away from it for 12, 12 years, and then went back to college. Um, so I kind of raised my kids where, you know, I was off basically from August to January or late December, I could go hunt, fish, travel, do whatever I wanted to do, and then just kill myself from January to, to August. And put money away to get me through the lean months because the lean months are going to be once football starts and that's going to be predominantly uh, most of your clientele. Uh, if I did it over again, I'd probably build a box and waste my thousand dollars or whatever to get CrossFit certified and build an anti-CrossFit CrossFit. Uh, and because adults train year round, whereas athletes are in and out. And so with adults, you get a, a, a constant uh, stream of income. And I'd probably, you know, uh, go have therapy, nutrition, everything to when CrossFitters get murdered at a CrossFit from dumbass coaches, they come, we put them back together, we get them to compete at a high level. So I think I'd probably set one down dead center in the middle of the most CrossFits I could find, uh, right next to an orthopedic surgeon in, uh, uh, in hospital to, so they can have their surgeries and they come rehab and rebuild them. What? would you say was the, I mean, the things and the people that were training out of there was unbelievable. What would you attribute that success to for anybody that listened to that? Uh, I think we almost had, um, we almost had like a cult, uh, a CrossFit culture as far as it was kind of like, you know, training at our facility, it was called HS2. And training at our facility was kind of like, you're a badass when you train here. And everybody else is kind of a pussy if you go train somewhere else. <laughs> so it was like we had that, you know, we kind of developed that mentality of whether it was male or female. I mean, even our female athletes were like, would, they were probably more aggressive than the males, male athletes about like, you know, we're badasses here, you know, go train like a girl somewhere else, you know. And sure. it was just, it was, uh, it was pretty cool, you know. Um, you know, it was uh, 12 years of I made really, I made three times the money I made at LSU. Um, and, and literally I love to hunt and fish. So, man, I, I freaking hunted from teal season in, in September, all the way through, uh, through January. And I started getting my guys getting ready for the draft, usually like the week before Christmas and I'd finish up hunting season and then, uh, then train straight through all the way through August, you know, all the way through OTAs before I had a break again. That mindset that you talked about, it seems like you've carried that with you, you know, when you were at La Tech, um, you know, and again on Green Wave, you know, anything that you've put out on social media for people to see. Um, 
talk about how you go about building that for anybody that hasn't read uh, your book or hasn't seen you on social media. What's up, Strength Coaches? Taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the Cheeky Midweeky, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members-only forum. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out. I mean, I had, uh, I interviewed for Colorado one year uh, and I turned it down because I just, I didn't think it was like the right fit for me. Um, but the AD asked me, because all I hear is about how you build, how you build culture and all. And I, and I told him, I said, man, like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I am, I'm a hundred percent me and real's real. And that's, and I don't, I don't try, I don't try to pretend to be somebody else. And I read our, I read athletes really well. I kind of read where we're at in time and training. And I'll always have something in my mind for any kind of event that I need to, for them to, you know, to, to basically understand where they're at, you know, in the year getting ready for a season, you know, where they're at mentally. Um, you know, like we did this great surge at Tulane a week ago, and we do, we call it the dog fight attack. And, you know, for me, it's, it was, it's just for the athletes, it's a competition. They want to just, they choose teams, eight, you know, eight captains, 10 guys to a team. Uh, and um, we come up with like eight archaic events and we, we go through them to make sure to try and idiot proof them so they can't kill, kill themselves, which is hard to do because the athlete's going to try and cheat his way through to try and win. So we go through and go, okay, in every case scenario, you're trying to cheat this event, how would you hurt yourself? And we kind of idiot proof it. And, um, and it's just a barometer. It just kind of, and I do it in the middle of the summer to kind of see where we are mentally. It has nothing to do with physical. Uh, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's beyond glycolytic. I mean, it just, I mean, dudes like push their bodies to the limit because they're going to go 100%. And it's eight reps. It's eight reps at 100%. And they're like physically shot at the end. Barely to, you know, to get to the championship round. And they still got one event left to, uh, to complete. But I just give them a, a few directives, like lead. If you're not leading, you follow. You, uh, so I want to see guys finish, whether you're in first place or last place. And when you have adversity, I want to see you overcome it. I, want, I don't want to see you lose your mind when somebody starts tra talking trash to you. I want you to, to focus on what you have to do at that point in time. And it just tells us where we're at in training so that we have another month to try and fix any of the problems with the athletes that we, we see. We're athletes who tend to want to quit. Athletes that tend to, they're, they're, they're so soft that if someone gets on their ass, they explode and verbally, you know, uh, verbally respond because they're, they're, mentally, they're mentally weak. And we, you know, we, we show them that in the context of a game, if you do that in a game, you're either getting a flag or getting tossed out. You know, you're not worried about the next play. You're worried about, you're worried about, uh, someone talking shit to you, which is has no relevance in the game whatsoever. So, you know, it, it just tells us where we're at in training, uh, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's an event that the athletes always look forward to. 
Um, and so it's, it's, it's not a negative thing. A lot of people look at it and go, well, it has nothing to do with football. It doesn't, but it has something to do with the team itself and the culture of the team. But from a physical standpoint, it has absolutely nothing except maybe get their GPP up pretty, you know, a little bit higher than it was before because it is that brutal. Now you talked about the fact you did it in week four, you know, so that way they already had their training base and you've talked about doing those things before. Um, how do you go about measuring the specificness of, you know, mindset and culture? Because in your book, and you seem to be very detailed with a ton of stuff of like getting to know the athletes and, you know, documenting things and just having your T's crossed and your I's dotted. What are some of the metrics or methods you use to, you know, track mindset of the athletes and the current state of the culture of the team? I mean, like it. The first, like the, when I first got to Tulane, the first thing I had them, I had them fill out that a survey with like, you know, that's like 18, 19 questions on it. It, it kind of tells me who they are. Like, you know, they, they come from a one parent household or a two parent ha household. Who is their go to person if they're, if they're really in a bad situation? Who's, who are they going to call? Um, what kind of music do they like? What kind of, what, 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 what kind of movies do they like? Um, just a, a lot of different things that kind of I, I'll read over them and try to memorize as much as humanly possible. You'll see some stuff on some athletes that you're like, kind of, it's kind of funny. Like I have an athlete who uh, is from Kansas who I thought all he loved was rap music. And, and he was like, his favorite band was Hall & Oates. And I'm going, what? <laughs> are you, what do you know about Hall & Oates, man? He's like, coach, I know all their songs. And, you know, he, and he loved to fish. And, and, you know, and so, you know, these guys that, you know, you look, you, you think you, you would know something about them, but you really don't. So it gives you like a, just a little window into who they are and gives you a base of when you, when you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in it with a new team that you get to know the athletes and uh, know a little bit about them. Just so you can start conversations with them. And, and that, that's the beginning of building trust. And the fact that when I do talk with an athlete, anything that we talk about is just between him and I and no one else. Um, if I see an athlete who's typically upbeat and he walks in and, and he's not like typically his normal self, uh, I'll bring him in my, you know, either pull him aside, bring him off and say, okay, what, you know, what's going on today? Uh, and you'll be, you know, shocked that sometimes there, there's somebody who died in the family. There's, you know, someone who's sick in the family or something that's bad happened at home that they're dealing with Millie. And if you just jump all over the kid's ass because he's not having the day he normally has, you know, you, you lose trust quickly it's so easy it's very hard to gain trust and you can lose trust in one instance in one moment in time and so i'm pretty i've as i've gotten older because i'm a beyond reactive human beyond like, <laughs> like super reactive and i've had to really you know I have zero patience and i'm very active so I've, I've had to really you know understand myself so that i can understand you know the athletes better and that a lot of it is you know was things that I did younger as a younger coach, I could never get away with now, but uh, at the same time, they weren't, I wasn't reading the athletes. I wasn't reading the situation. I was too immature. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's just, it takes time. It takes, you know, patience and just kind of understanding where they are in, in the weekly scheme throughout the year and kind of what you need out of them and looking, I mean, I look at scale, I look at, I know everything about every team we play schedules, who's starting, who, and I bring up stuff like that in training. I mean, I know uh, a lot about 
the whole staff, whether it's the street staff, the training staff, the football staff on every team we play. And I'm, I'm constantly bringing that kind of stuff to their attention. I'll stop a workout in the middle of a workout if I don't think it's going right, as far as where they're, 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 uh, where they're at mentally in the workout, where their focus is. Um, even though I go through at the beginning of the workout, I want you to focus really on this, this, and this today um, and uh, get, him, get him back online so that we always finish on a real positive note at the end, at the end of a training session. Well, that makes sense. And it kind of made me wonder, like, how, how do you handle that balance between they're the kids that playing on the field? So, you know, at some point they have to figure it out on their own, but a coach will call a timeout in the middle of the game and try to skew things back in the direction that they're supposed to. So that makes, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, um, even, even during the games, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm supposed to be a get back guy, you know, and, and work with special teams. But I, my whole focus is coaches have headsets on. They're so worried about the next play of the call. All I care about is what I hear when they're coming off the field, how they're talking to each other, how they're reacting on the field, whether it's a good play or a bad play. And that's where all my attention is always directed. And I'll, you know, as they come off the field, I'll talk to them to try to get them back in line. They're focused where it's supposed to be, whether it's their focus is we just scored or made a big play. It's like, hey, you know, try to stay a little more even. This will be a long ass game. You know, uh, so that you're not uh, certainly not up and down where they they are so high, and then all of a sudden, team does something really good and they drop to a, a really low. It's try to try to keep them level uh, throughout the game and keep them focused on the next play or what they need to do on the next play to fix things when they're when they're on the sidelines sitting on the bench. So, I think my focus is a little a, a little different. And plus, uh, because we work so much on combat and martial arts, I'll look especially with the defensive players, defensive line, of uh, what an offensive lineman is doing to them and how they can counter, how they can counter stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and, and all, they'll come up to me. All right, look, he's doing this. How do I counter it? And I help them try to, try to counter things to where uh, it, 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 it keeps the offensive lineman guessing on everything, what, what they're going to do. So, I mean, a few things. That's awesome about, you know, what you do with them coming off the sideline. Second of all, the fact that you're not keeping coaches back and holding their belt loop, that's unacceptable. You got to start. Not true. You got to start being the get back guys. Uh, you get your own ESPN special, you know. Dude, my, the way, my language, if they had me <laughs> anywhere near a mic, uh, be, the way I talk, it would, it would, it would not go good on national television. How does the how does the D line coach feel about you know the guys wanting to talk to you because you know you just said brand new year brand new staff you know you'll still find out but having systems in place when you're at La Tech for a while I'm sure it was yeah. you were yeah, the first, mainstay yeah but I mean how do you envision that you know uh, you had spring ball how'd that go yeah uh, then we it went well I mean you know no injuries which was awesome um, uh, and, and they had a lot of injuries the last couple of years. So, you know, we got through it pretty, pretty good. Uh, and still all through training, we're pretty healthy. Um, I know I, I immediately day one with the offensive line coach and defensive line coach talked to him about, about uh, what we, what, what I've done before in the past and kind of showed them. And they were like all, all into it. And I kind of got in trouble because I'm not supposed to be like during spring ball, I'm not supposed to be like with the D line and I'm over there going through drills and, and doing hand skills with them. And, and the coach first like, oh, Kurt, uh, you can't do that. I was like, yeah, I'm not even thinking. I'm like, why not? We're doing this. we been doing this in January. And uh, he's like, no, nah, you're like, we, we have too many coaches on field as it is. And uh, so I was like, oh, okay. So then what we do is we, we have uh, groups in the afternoon where they come in on their own time. Yeah. 
yeah. and with the ONV line, and we we work for about forty five minutes to an hour, just on 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 hand skill work. Um, you know, same question. Now that again, you're trying to set systems up in place after being somewhere where you had them for so long. What were some of the biggest takeaways from the prior stop that you are trying to make sure you do, and things you try to make sure you don't do? Uh, it's a little, you know, at Tech, no one cared about. It. I mean, there was no real compliance. I mean, it was, they weren't coming across a, a hot hundred degree parking lot to even look into the stadium ever. I mean, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what the compliance dude looked like because I never saw him in nine years. Uh, so we pretty much did whatever, whatever we felt like doing. Uh, and then Skip had me like, you know, he, I would go to him. I want to, I want to implement this. He's like, go ahead, go for it. You know, um, I'd go th- and, and I had a really good uh, rapport with all the, with all the position coaches, whether it would be helping them break down uh, routes and, and footwork, whether I have a big on vision and cognition, do a lot of vision and cognition work with our DBs, our receivers, our running backs and our quarterbacks um, kind of do it at the same time on one, one area we have them working on in the afternoon, in the other area, we have the OND line working on, on combat skills. And uh, I wanted to implement all that stuff. Cause, cause I don't, if I'm not trying to, if I'm not, if I'm doing what everybody else is doing in this field, I'm not trying to win. I'm not trying to beat you. I want to do everything that's, I want to do all the little things that people don't even think about doing. Like, like, you know, it was Moyer, like, you know, Jeff Moyer, I listened to one of his podcasts on, uh, and from that point on, I read every vision and cognition book I could find. Uh, I got with, um, uh, what's my boy's name? Uh, the optometrist that, uh, uh, that Moyer learned, actually learned from yep. uh, um, in, in Maryland. And uh, Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button so that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, I looked on his website and his, the, the, the main guy on his website was an athlete that I trained. It was an all American at LSU, all American uh, uh, outfielder and uh, Ryan Shep. And I trained Ryan since he was like 12 or 13 years old. And so I called Ryan, he was uh, with Tampa Bay. And he said, yeah, the only reason why I got, I got to the league was because of, of because of, uh, because of him. And he hooked me up with him, Harrison, Bill Harrison. And he, he hooked me up with, uh, with Dr. Harrison. And we, we talked about it. And then I designed a program where I had basically like a, a, a vision center uh, at Tech. And I just kind of have a, a do it in the stadium at, uh, at Tulane. And we go through peripheral vision, uh, um, depth perception. And we, we have this entire program that we, we, we work on hand, on, on hand skills and and, uh, and eye tracking, and then we turn we go into catching about 400 different implements, whether it be bricks, pico sticks, tennis balls, patch on one side, catch with you know on on uh, your with, with your dominant eye open, catch with your with your with your uh, dominant eye closed, um, and then we go to about 100 balls on a jug machine after that. So our goal is to have zero drops. So it's just an entire system. It takes about an hour to get through it from the time we start to the time we finish with the jug machines. And you guys, uh, it's interesting you say that because I started doing the same thing from Jeff and got some of the slow the game down things um, yeah. for one of my receivers, mainly who, you know, jumps out the gym, you know, fastest guy, but 
you know, at times when he's going to catch a ball and then when we tested him, you know, he sees the, the X in the back of the bead. So everything is coming up on him yeah, because bro. his depth perception is bad. Right. Yeah, right. And he's all of a sudden now he's catching the ball again. And it's, it's interesting how much, you know, that plays into it. Um, was it hard to get your guys, you know, interested in it or was it easy? Cause they're like, Hey, I want to fucking catch the ball. Right. Well, at first, um, when I was at tech, we had, we had dropped 16 interceptions on defense in one wow. season. And yeah. so our two corners, Two cars were drafted. I mean, uh, Legere Sneed is starter for Kansas City. And mm-hmm. Amik Roberts is a starter at, at, for uh, Las Vegas. And, you know, two talented guys. But we were, we were dropping far too many balls. So that's when I'd already, like, read a bunch of stuff. But I hadn't, like, put anything to play. And then I was like, man, I got, I got to help these guys catch. And so uh, got a lot of, you know, uh, Harrison stuff. And uh, then – started putting some things together before I, before we actually had an actual conversation. Then once we had a conversation, really, really designed everything out and they were bought in because of how many drops they had. And then my two receivers last year at tech, one of them was one of the top receivers in the country had zero drops the entire year. And the other one had one. So they were, they were in the top 10 of amount of passes thrown to them with the least amount of drops. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, having a statistic like that, are you using anything else in terms of tackles, you know, successfully made on defense or tackles, you know, missed on offense to help you kind of quantify your agility training? Are you going that deep down the rabbit hole too? No, I haven't gone, you know, that far. Man, I got a coach who's killing me with KPIs. Like I've got, you know, I've got a Kitman that, you know, you can't even read it on Kitman. We have so much <laughs> stuff on it. I'm like, we don't even use half this stuff, man. I just, you know, and, uh, you know, I look at, uh, for, for, uh, for vision where I look at how many we dropped during, during practice and how many we dropped, uh, uh, you know, during, during a game, but also look at too, is we do a lot of stuff in contact. So what I saw was like a lot of times that, you know, if they were wide open, they didn't drop a ball, but if they had any kind of contact going for the ball, that was the predominantly the most of their drops. So uh, we really just beat the shit out of them while I catching the ball, you know, to keep, keep that focus on it. Cause it was, it's, it's, it's after contact where they lose, where they don't, their eyes move, their eyes, they, they don't track it all the way in. You're the second, um, you know, Louisiana guy talking about coach Hatch in such a positive light as when Mike Chapman and I was around him talk about uh, the influence that he had on you as, as a coach, not only just from the X's and O's, but you know, as a human. Just he's uh, one. Of, he was one of the best humans to ever walk the planet. I mean, he he was a father to like, I mean, hundreds hundreds of guys who who probably needed it. You know, who needed a who needed a father figure, and and he didn't play. Like he would beat you senseless on a platform. You know, and <laughs> uh, but you know, from a technical standpoint, I mean, he's the, the the greatest technical coach that uh, you know American born coach in the history of uh, of U.S. Uh, weightlifting. You know, and, um, you know, even even when I was at Tulane, I would drive over to Baton Rouge three times a week to train uh, and he would I wouldn't get there to like eight o'clock at night. And it, most times it'd just be me and him, you know, at eight o'clock at night. He'd stay he'd stay to nine, nine thirty every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You know, wait on me to train, uh, even though I was already like in my coaching career. And then when I could when I was I was at LSU. 
I did the same thing. I'd go three days a week. Uh, I'd get there at seven, train to eight thirty. Then we would sit in the office and talk about training for about you know another hour before I would drive home. And um, you know, and I think because the fact that I might have been like the, I, I know I was the first coach that would sit talk to him, and because the hatch system is kind of where he wrote most a lot of the fourth quarter that you see, you know, LSU and Alabama and Georgia and all that stuff. But what he didn't have, it was strictly from a weightlifting standpoint, not from a player load standpoint of what they're doing in practice, not from a, a standpoint of, of speed work, of agility work, of their, of their, of their, of their conditioning. And, and I would sit and, and go through them. I'm like, this is why I, I wouldn't do this the way he had, the way he had written it. This is why I would do this versus this. And, and he would be like, Garrett, you're right. You know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going in the right direction. Uh, you know, I'm looking at it as purely from a lifting standpoint, not from an athletic sports standpoint. And, you know, so uh, then, you know, winning two national championships in LSU baseball. And you know, like, he was like, so jacked up about that. And, and I was a little different. I'd walk in, I had really long hair, like Tarzan, like Tarzan, <laughs> like Tarzan long hair. And I'd walk in with my hat on backwards and all the other athletes are like, you know, what? Because he'd make them cut their hair. He's like, why does Kurt, why, why does Kurt have to, you know, why can he have long hair? Why, why does he get to wear a hat on backwards? And he would just go, you're not Kurt. <laughs> so he always treated me, and, and he treated me a little different than everybody else. So we had a, we had a little different relationship. Um, how has that affected, you know, your staff current and past? Because, you know, people that go to work under you at La Tech, you know, they were, they were coming out and they were coach ready. So talk about your development um, and, and the relationships that you have with your staff, you know, I think the, past the, current. the way I, I do a lot of stuff is um, I know I don't have all the answers and I know I'm looking at it from my past experiences. They have, they have some, they have experiences too. And, you know, like we sat down and, and wrote uh, out the summer cycle and, you know, kind of, led them this, this is where we need to go this is what we need to do with with our ond line this is what we need to do with our mids this is what we need to do with our with our uh, dbs and receivers and i said you know pretty much our ond line is going to be 60 percent in the weight room and 40 percent outside you know i said our, our mids is going to be damn near 50 50 and our skill guys will be 40 percent in the weight room 60 percent outside on every single thing we do all they that's their game their game is move you know is movement O and D line, their game is power, beating the shit out of somebody in 10 yards. So we're gonna we're gonna develop our program uh, with, with those with you know basically those metrics. And so anytime that they wanted to put something in, I would say, okay, tell me why. You better have, you know, if, if we're gonna put something in the workout, you have to argue like you're a lawyer and you're up on this, you know, and you're trying to you're trying to save some poor soul's life. The poor soul is your exercise. You tell me how it fits and why should we put it in? And we did that. So we're like, we're pulling stuff out, putting things in until we got all three cycles written synergistically between what we're doing outside and what we're doing inside. So the athlete can recover. And so they're part of the entire process. It's not just me dictating we're doing this and it's final because even in, in this summer, We've had to modify just off of what our our football coaches were doing. Yeah, you know, we're they're, they're doing full two full practices a week. 
you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we, I said, look, man, we're going to have to mitigate a ton just off of what they're doing. So this is not set in stone. We'll, we'll, we're going to, it's going to be an ebb and flow where we're going to pull things out, put things in, and, and we're going to might have to microdose a lot of our stuff. And, you know, so they, they learn that all the nuances of, of, of programming, not just a lot of strength coaches out there go, I wrote this shit. We're doing this no matter what the sport coaches do. We don't care if they kill them. We're still going to, we're going to do this lifting. We're going to do this conditioning. We're going to do this speed work and their volume gets out of the roof. You know, all the athletes do, it gets slower and hurt. You know, so you're alluding to a high performance model where everybody's, you know, collaborating. How is your relationship with the athletic trainer, the dietitian, you know, any of the other support staff members that do have a piece of the pie, but communicate together. So it's not just, you know, them taking advantage of their piece of the pie when they get it. Well, we don't have a nutritionist yet. They're, they, yeah. they, they're in the process of hiring one right now. Uh, I actually got four emails about wanting me to get on Zoom for uh, interviews. I'm like, hell no, I'm drinking beer for the next eight <laughs> days. Leave me alone. Uh, you know, um, viewers, you can't see, but I'm on a beach right now uh, <laughs> with a beer. And uh, but yeah, you know, I, I came in the which is good is the our head trainer trains, which is good. Oh, nice. when you have a, so when you have a head trainer trains, they they have a higher understanding of of what's going on. Uh, I actually got certified with um, our assistant uh, trainer in yoga uh, because we're going to do it uh, on Friday evenings. When we're on the road and in the hotels. When we're at home to help them recover a little bit. We cut, we did it all spring on Fridays on the field on the we use the big screen. I just pull up some random chick who was hot, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, the, and the whole whole team would do. They were bought in like immediately. And, uh, and they loved it, the fact that it helped them because we would scrimmage on Saturdays. So that was our Saturday. Our Saturday workout was, was yoga and a, a lot of uh, mobility work on top of that and rehab. And it, it helped us get through through spring ball. But, um, you know, uh, he we do a lot, again, because we have so many KPIs with Nordboard, with InBody, with all this stuff. So we really work together. To, you know, we don't have a big staff, even though we're – AAC, we have the smallest staff in the entire conference. Uh, and so we, we depend on each other to, to survive. I mean, really. So it's, it's been a really good relationship with them. Um, it's as far as the nutritionists, are you guys kind of leading that up now in terms of any fuel stations and any training tables? So that way you guys have your hand in that. Yeah, we have actually, I've, that's what I've been doing. I mean, I'm certified in nutrition too. Um, yeah, I'm trying not to do everything. I'm trying not to be the maintenance guy, cut the grass, line the fields. You know, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to be a strength. Every once in a while, I'd like to be a strength coach and I'm doing everything else. But um, uh, so we have an awesome grill. I mean, it's like we have chefs. Like I, I was amazed uh, at, the grill we have and the, the, the type of food they put on the table and the, the, the quantity of food. And then we have a, we have a, a, a huge fueling station uh, that they can go to. Um, they can also eat and get, have swipes on the commons, which is like massive uh, dining hall on campus, which is top of the line too. being a private institution. It costs $90,000 to go to wow. the food, the, the food better, food better be pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of what you're paying to go to school. So most of the, uh, and which is weird is like most of the, um, students want to, they, they, they can eat in the athletic one. 
yep. and they they like it better than the commons, you know, where, where they're supposed to go. So that's how good the food is. So it's that that's the one thing we have going for us. Now we have a small staff. It's a shared staff with the Olympic side. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm the only full time football guy. Uh, and so, uh, you know, guys are in and out. So, uh, you know, having to go work with other sports. Um, and so, but you know, at tech, I it was, I started out with me and one other guy started with every sport. So it's not, it's not a big deal to me. So for any of our uh, listeners, you know, they may be a head guy similar to you that only has football, but their assistants have other teams. How do you handle those logistics, especially when you're doing so many moving parts of some of the linemen are in the weight room more and the skill guys need to be outside yeah. more. How do you handle that? We, uh, we have like it blocked off, uh, from in the summertime from six to 10. And so we have like, so we go from six to 10, we train, uh, three groups and, and I kind of, they kind of overlap. So I'll stay on the field doing all the speed or agility work while they start another group. And then I'll come in finish the group and then go and swing back outside. Um, so, uh, and we kind of like, we do a lot, we do some FRC in between to kind of slow things down and give us a little more time. So we kind of threw in a FRC for 10 or 15 minutes to give us a little more time in the weight room before we transition. Um, so um, it's been hard with a couple of you, we have some new sport coaches, Olympic coaches that come in and, you know, they're coming from big schools and used to having these huge staffs, you know, those power five schools with everybody, every, damn near every team has their own strength coach. And we have one or two, they're not real understanding and uh, trying to get a little more backing from our administrator on, 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 on those issues, which right now she doesn't have much of a spine to stand up to anybody, but I do. Uh, so probably not the, with the, with 90% of the Olympic coaches I have a great relationship with. You're going to always have one or two that are going to be assholes and, you know, so I just got to deal with it. Um, now, but they, they just hired someone who's head of Olympics, which we didn't have before. So now I'll be dealing with, all right, if they don't fit in with football, but they fit in with swimming, what do we do? You know, who, who, who fires that, who fires that person or hires that person? What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in-person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So, if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information let's get back to the show taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor hawken dynamics hawken dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches athletic trainers sports scientists and everybody in the high performance department most notably their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use not only did i use them when i was at towson but i've used them when i've moved back here to iowa with tucker at goldfinch so check out hawken dynamics in the link down below now let's get back to the show. How do you, how do you put that administrative hat on? Um, you know, how much do you have to, and what advice would you give to coaches that do? I mean, a lot because our AD, you know, even though it's not my, even though I'm just supposed to be over football, 
he wants my hand on everything. Like he wants, you know, me to, to interview just about every, anybody who comes into the department and not leave it up to the administrator that's supposed to be doing the, doing the hiring. So it's, I'm, I'm kind of in a tough place because I came just for football, you know, um, if I, I didn't come for, for the others, I, I've had my time where I had, you know, six sports by myself and, you know, I trained six sports solo, no help. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm done with that. I want to concentrate. I want to build the best football program I can. And I can't do that if I'm, if I'm constantly having to walk away and, and, and work and, and worry about, what an Olympic sport is doing or what an Olympic strength coach is doing. Um, so that's, I'm pushing to sometime this year where I at least get one, one coach who's just football only with me. Yeah. And, just, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, you're kind of just talking about essentialism and you know, if it doesn't make the boat go faster, you're not going to do it because your job is to make them, you know, as big, fast, strong and, and, I mean, like you said, you were getting certified in yoga. So that way you could just do that one thing that can continue to, you know, help the guys feel more fresh. So that way come Saturday, they're feeling at their best. I mean, I just, it, it's, I, I, I want to be, I, I want to be at a place where I, I am solely focused on a football program, period. Nothing else to wear. Cause I always feel like I never have enough time with them. I never can do enough. I can never implement all the things that I really want to implement because I'm always being pulled in other directions uh, or, you know, they have to go to class, which kind of sucks. But they didn't have to go to class. We'd be in good shape. Yeah. The, the <laughs> whole, when COVID had everything being, you know, asynchronous online, that was the best because kids could just do the work when they wanted to. Right. Oh yeah. You know, was, um, uh, I mean, I had 35 guys at my house training all through COVID. I had, I had racks in my yard, man. We we're training the grass. Yeah. You know? Get it done, right? Get it done. When, uh, how often will you guys have any games in the middle of the week, and how hard is that for you to handle? And what advice would you have for you know coaches that do that with football you know, in the middle of the week? Yeah, I think we have one Thursday game and one Friday game this year. Um, as more than anything is 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 the player load and trying to uh, get them to back down. Um, I think coaches typically, when you have a short week, they kind of freak out because they get, uh, they feel like they're under the gun, stressed out. But uh, I mean, the way I look at it, we have, we have, we started in January with what we call football school. So it's basically Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's really a practice. You know, we, in, in, in from January to spring football, we didn't, we couldn't use a ball uh, uh, for, for a lot of it, but we still did seven on seven. They were still running plays. Then we went through spring ball. Then we came out of spring ball. And in summer training, we're still doing Tuesdays and Thursdays, basically a two-hour practice. Now you can have a ball. You just can't go – you just can't do a competition against each other with it. And then seven-on-seven seven after. So, I mean, we should be if, – if they don't know it by now, when are they going to know it? You know? And so going into camp, it should be just tidying things up so that when we get to those, those short weeks that we can back off and drop our player load to, you know, 250 instead of 500, you know, and, and we, we be, we'll be fine for the games. Um, and it's just educating the coaches. I've done – I'll be our head trainer and I, we have done a really good job of educating our coaches on, on 
uh, catapult and, and how to read it and, and what the numbers mean and what we need to do, uh, you know, going forward. And, and they're, they're starting to really, really listen. Um, I showed them where last year at Tech that I uh, did verticals all the way through camp all the way through Jan to January. And uh, after, after camp, the week after camp, we were six to eight, that was our range, six to eight inches below uh, their, their initial uh, jumps on vertical, six to eight. It took, before the first guys started to recover and get back to baseline, it took almost five weeks. Yeah. Then, it took like to week eight before everybody was back at baseline. So, and the reason that is because everybody beats the shit out of their, their, their teams at camp. So you really don't like coaches like, well, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's doing this and everybody's doing that. Well, you can't tell that the teams are slower because they're all slow. Yeah. They all do the same shit. They all just get beat down. But if you have a five week window, so if you come out of camp and go, you know what? We're going to start backing off. We'll go, we'll slowly build up in camp and then we'll come back down and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll start uh, uh, mitigating everything that we do so that, you know, you better be able to teach it an hour and 15. If you can't, you suck as a coach. That should be the mentality. And so if you're completely recovered when the season starts, and your guys are moving fast and you can still microdose a little bit of speed work uh, during camp, you'll be, your team will be so much faster for five weeks. You have a five week window to stay faster than everybody else, but no one does because they just beat the fuck out of each other. How much do you think you're going to have the ability to, you know, have that happen? Then? I'm a, uh, during my interview, I showed that was part of my interview process and I showed them that uh, on a PowerPoint and, so when I get back on Monday and I'll, because I have three weeks left of training and I will start going through every little thing that we're, we, 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 we will do in camp and why and how we should, how we should uh, program our practices. And hopefully Francis is starting to, he's finally, you know, I mean, I'm new, so I have to build trust with the head, the head football coach too. But I've been on the money on pretty much everything that I've asked mm -hmm. him so far. So he's starting to really believe in, 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 in science and, and what, uh, what I bring to the table. So I'm hoping, because I can show, show them on, on, from their past reports of why they played poorly in certain games. And you can look at the load, and it's like, Jesus, man, these dudes, these dudes on two practices played in three games or four <laughs> games, you know. You know, it says, you know, you're doing that right before you leave to go play it. Of course, they're tired. How do, how do you, as a, you know, a guy that's been around it for a while, if a young coach is listening to this and like, man, he can barely get through to his coach. You know, why should I even keep trying to get through to mine? Or what piece of advice would you give them to have an influence on practice design? You know, we know it's important, but what would be your piece of advice? I, in my career, because I'm, I'm one of the older guys in the field, like, I mean, I think Mickey Marotti, maybe Glass, uh, Batson, maybe that's us four are probably the oldest in the field. Uh, I mean, I'm almost 60, you know, and but I've never I, I've seen coaches get beat down by head football coaches and just take it. <laughs> I, I've never been I have never been that dude and I never will be. I will always fight. I will always 
I would rather voice my opinion and get shut down than just to sit there and go, well, it doesn't matter because it does matter. And it, it, it does matter because what happens is if the, if the head coach isn't listening, some of those position coaches are, and they're very protective of their guys. So believe me, our receiver DB coaches, they're all right, Kurt, all right, Kurt. What do, what do I do an individual? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Save your guys for team. I got it. And, you know, so they'll like play around, play around, burn up a bunch of play around, burn up a whole bunch of periods and, you know, and then, you know, save, save, you know, save the legs of their athletes, you know? And so, yeah, you know, go to the position coaches and get, and, and try and work with them on modifying uh, what they do, throw, throw out all the useless drills that do have nothing to do with their position that they just, throw in there to kill time, you know, and, and get them like, look, man, they're just, why are you killing their legs on shit that doesn't help them in football? And, and most of the time they go, you're right. All right. I said, just act like you're teaching something. <laughs> just move your hands around on film a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Just, you know, become an act, become a great actor. Um, and, here's a cheeky question for you. Did you still periodize the music the same way that you talked about in the uh, Madman book? Where... Yeah, because it, it when you watch when you watch workouts <laughs> when you when you when you when you walk in and you crank it up right off the bat like I I walk in and say okay this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing this today this is what this is the focus points and this is the emphasis of today you know it's like this one exercise is is the workout whether it's on the field uh, or in the weight room we're we're building up to this one one modality and so we'll slow i'll slow it down and because a lot of us you know especially any kind of technical list i fuck the music i want you gotta hear you gotta hear me coach yeah. so when it's really technical it's off and then as we go build it up build it up build it up and then at the end especially we do a lot of, we do we'll do some hypertrophy stuff for like you know seven minutes straight and so we'll crank the music up and they'll have like a three three exercise rotation and you just, you know, and it's just because we were pretty small, so I had to put some size on these guys. So then we cranked the music up as, as, you know, whatever the hell they wanted on. And which is really weird is I got some dudes that love like German uh, dubstep type, like freaking wild ass shit and, they, and, and Nirvana. And they're singing and they know every word. I'm like, all right, I got, you know, 60 brothers in here who are singing and know every word to every Nirvana song. You got range. Yeah. Oh, Mike, <laughs> I, I dig these dudes. These dudes, yeah, these dudes are awesome. It's not just rap every day. Um, Coach, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Like you said, you're on a beach. You're out there having fun. Um, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that you didn't have an opportunity to kind of say, but, uh, you know, now would be the time? I don't know, man. It just, uh, you know, this field is, uh, I think, kind of, you know, in a, I hate to say, it, like, I quit going to conferences uh, in 1995 because I couldn't stand shrink because I couldn't I couldn't stand shrink coaches. I was like, man, fuck these dudes are a bunch of assholes, a uh, bunch of arrogant, you know, you know, uh, logo wearing, you know, douchebags, and I just I couldn't handle. I just said, man, I'm here to learn. I got to deal with this shit. And I just want I just want to become a better coach, and and that was 1995. So I went 20 years without going to a clinic. I would just go learn from the best coaches 
in Canada. I mean, I'd go sleep on floors to learn and sleep in, in their offices because I just could, I hated our field. I hate I just, it wasn't me, you know. Everybody had wanted to look like Vin Diesel or Stone Cold, so I had I, that's why I grew my hair really long. I, said, I, I I'm growing my shit looking like fucking Tarzan when I walk into a room. And uh, then when I went to the CSCCA this year, I was like, all right, it's been like over 30 years. It's the same, <laughs> maybe worse <laughs> because of social media. And we got, we, got, we got all these young coaches following dudes that are total douchebags that have zero aptitude for this field, you know? And, and they, but they think they're like the top of the field, but they couldn't program. They couldn't program for a junior high football team, much less a power five team. And it's, you know, I just, you know, we were still undereducated um, to a certain extent, undercertified. Uh, we still got, you know, guys who are in it just for their social media presence. I've always been an athlete guy, you know, it's like, like the worst thing you can see to me in life is an athlete that you coach five, 10 years down the road is not doing good in life. And I, I think we have that kind of impact on dudes to help change their life. And, you know, when you got dudes who are just like, you know, you know, show the, show the, uh, you know, let, let's, uh, let, let's fill the sleeves. Now, motherfucker, fill your brain with some freaking knowledge. Become a great, become a great, great strength coach. So that's my, that's, that's my part, my, uh, my fatherly advice for all young coaches. Be, be careful who you, uh, who you idolize because usually they fucking suck. My advice to everybody is to hear more rants like that. You can get the rants of a strength and conditioning madman. This, how, there was two different charities that this supported, right? Wounded Warriors yeah. and what else? No, it's uh, Navy Seals Foundation. Navy Seals Foundation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and St. Jude's. St. Jude's, that's what it was. Yeah. I was going to thank you as well and um, say the same thing about the book. I need to get my hands on that book. It's hard yeah, to get like, shipped to you, you but see- I'll do it. You see all the little, like, you know, I got all my little yeah. tags of like, I mean, but again, like I said, it's, it's not only will you get nice little <laughs> enjoyment rants yeah. like that, but again, you know, self-assessments in here, or, you know, if you get in an altercation with a sport coach or injury incident. It's like transparent, just, transparent, yeah, it's, straightforward. Yeah. Good I, I, th- I think the best part is the copyright infringement. <laughs> no one reads it, but re- read my copyright infringement. I think that's the best part of the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get a kick out of that one. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you again, Coach. Really appreciate no it. You enjoy thank the rest. You. Thanks for checking out that episode with Kurt Hester. As you know, I think very highly of him. Um, Uncle Kurt and I are in a group chat, so we're texting each other fairly often. Unbelievable dude. Cares about his family. Cares about the kids, as you can notice there. Like, Do you hear the passion when he talks about helping those kids out and helping them get better at their sport? And It's something that is very apparent from talking with him. That's why so many people speak so highly of him, and that should be your goal. Your goal should be to have the athletes and coaches that you work with speak so highly about you because you care about them. You can hear the passion and how much he cares in his voice, and that's what this whole thing is about. It's about caring for the athletes that you work with. It's about caring and doing the best possible thing that you can do to serve the athletes that you work with. Um, if you need more you know, context with any of this, that is what we're doing here at Strength Coach Network. We are trying to educate coaches. We're trying to help push the field forward. It, we have plenty of great free resources. All right? You're on our YouTube channel, on our podcast, on our blog, all of it there for free. But as you know, you get what you pay for. The better stuff is inside of our membership site. 
We also have our long form education course, which has NSCA CEUs. So if you are looking for CEUs or you're, it's not if, you need to have CEUs in order to maintain your certification. Why not get CEUs from an organization that is bringing you information that you can use actionably right now? Check out Fundamentals, learn about being able to get CEUs for the long form course. Look into our membership site. We have over 175 webinars, new ones come out each and every month, live Q&As, member-only form. We're here to help, all right? You can do it on your own with the free resources. We've said that. Other people are saying it. It's going to A, take you longer. B, the better stuff is behind the paywall. That's always how it is. So get inside, reach out to us. Let us help you out. Let us help continue to push the field forward, make strength and conditioning the thing that is driving athletes to have the best part of their day because we are having fun. We're connecting with the athletes. We're working with the sport coach, working with the athletic trainer. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Later.